Well, good morning. Welcome to Super Bowl Sunday here. Come on, buddies. Oh, come on. It's okay. They look like they're enjoying it. Isn't this fun? All this week, the conversation has been about who is the goat, the greatest of all times. And so, come here, come here. I have brought some goats to help me out here. I have the goat, and then over here, the shy one, I have the kid that's over here. And you see how clever I thought this was, because a small goat is called a kid, as you know. So let's, thank you very much. So let's start with the kid, represents Patrick Mahomes, 25 years of age, lightning in a bottle, last year's Super Bowl MVP, Chiefs won it last year, there you go. So this is Patrick, over here, this is the GOAT, 43-year-old Tom Brady that's here, a little shy there, Tom. Now listen, what you know about Tom Brady, six Super Bowl uh, titles. Today he's going for number seven, which would be absolutely amazing. What do you think? It's not going to happen, is it? I agree with you a little bit on there. Now listen, if you don't even like football, today you're going to love it because today's all about legacy kind of questions. It's qu- Guys, hey, you want to bring me some snacks? I'm not above bribing them. Come here, like me with some snacks. This is what I do with my kids. Hey, come here and and smile. We're going in the church. Have a cookie. All right? (laughs) There you go. Now, the conversation is really this about legacy. Who will be the goat after today? And I agree with Tony Romo, who really said this. It's kind of like when Jordan, if Jordan was going to play LeBron James. The winner of today's games really defines themselves in terms of legacy. Brady over here, if he wins today, seven Super Bowl champions will be undisputed, the GOAT as it goes here. Mahomes, if he wins, now this is the great part about this. Come on, guys, this seems so good in my mind. The great part is if he wins today, he puts himself in the conversation to say he really could be the GOAT. This would be two, and he's only 25 years of age. So here's the question for you. You could go in just a moment. So today, even if you don't care about football, cameras this way, cameras this way, there you go, there you go. I know. So even if you don't care about football, today the beauty is today is about legacy, right? And today is going to be about the legacy of the goat. And so as you think about it, remember my two fine friends here who did a wonderful job of not leaving me any gifts and are ready to go back. Now let me show you how good a train these are. I'll take them off the leash. Go. Beautiful as they go along the light. <laughs> oh, the good stuff that they have. Now, as we think about this, Josh dancing and goats. I mean, it has been a great morning. If I just don't mess it up, we're going to have a great memorable time together. So whenever you think about this conversation of the goats, right, the greatest of all times, especially if you're a sports nerd like me, the first part's for you, and the rest of the part, you'll catch up with us as we go. But we always like to expand the conversation beyond just who is the greatest, right? Because we never can reach consensus. We have all these arguments over all these sports. So we talk about this. Who would be on your Mount Rushmore, right? Your four greatest athletes of all times. And so today I want to spend some time on them. Four greatest team sport athletes of all times. I say team sports. That's going to eliminate individual sports. People like Muhammad Ali, uh, Tiger Woods is going to be out, uh, Gary Gasborough. You know Gary, he was the world champion chess, uh, world champion 15 years in a row. So Gary's not available to be on your Mount Rushmore as you go, all right? But here's what we're going to do. Today, I want to give you my Mount Rushmore of GOATs, greatest athletes of team sports. 
But before I do that, I want you to enter into the debate that I've been in with people all week long. So if you've got your phones this morning, grab them, fire them up. Now, even if you're not a sports person, grab your phones because you're going to be engaged a little bit later in the same kind of thing. So grab your phones, go to lexcity.info. Lexcity.info. There you go. If you're at home, grab the phone, rally the family around. It's your chance to kind of vote as we go. And here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, the band's going to play. You'll see it there. I want you to pick your top four all-time athletes on team sports that would go to your Mount Rushmore. Here we go. Vote away. Here we go. There we go. LeBron James, Paley. It's a live feed as you vote. It's going up live. Here we go. Jordan, give me your top four. Everybody in the room has voted for Jordan. You got... Come on. There we go. Hank Aaron making his way. Oh. Where's Messi? Come on, get Messi up there. Oh, he's dropping back. Woo. Tyrone is voting for Jerry Rice over and over to get a 49er on there. You've got 20 seconds. Here we go. All right, let's see how we did. Jordan, let's see. Can we put that screen back up just one more time? Jordan, number one, Babe Ruth, LeBron, and Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, Pele, and Jerry, sorry, there, Tyrone, Tyrone, Jerry Rice, who I love, uh, number 10. Pretty good. Let me give you mine and my thoughts behind why they are there. and then you can take me out to lunch and we can debate this all day long. All right, so here it is. Uh, because, interesting, you have two of the same sport on there, which is hard to be the greatest if there's two of you there, but that's a whole other conversation. All right, here's where we go. In my Mount Rushmore, here's what I've got. In number four, it is simply this. Boom, Babe Ruth. For all my old school folks, now think about Babe Ruth. Lifetime career batting average of 342, hit 714 home runs without steroids. All right, Babe Ruth, known as the greatest two-way player, defensive guy, actually was on the pitching rotation uh, for the team back in the seven World Series. Babe Ruth, I think, is the most transformational baseball player. I put him on there. Number three, wasn't on your list either. Number three, I have mainly because I married a Minnesotan who uh, loves her hockey, Wayne Gretzky, that's on there. Now think about Wayne, the great one. Holds the record for most career uh, goals, most career assists, seven Hart trophies, which is the MVP trophy for the NHL, four Stanley Cups, played over 20 years on different teams, took them to the title. Wayne Gretzky uh, makes my number two, or number three. Number two, now here's where we maybe get some controversy. Number two is... Tom Brady, uh, Super Bowl, he's been nine times, think about this, nine times, he's won six of them out of the nine, uh, he's won four Super Bowl MVPs, he's won three lead, league MVPs, now think about this, this is what's amazing, if Brady wins today, he will have won more Super Bowl titles than any franchise, 
more than the Steelers, more than the Cowboys individually will have more Super Bowl titles than any NFL franchise. That puts them at number two, which gives to me, which I totally agree with you, number one goat of all time, Mr. Michael Jordan himself, all right? Six NBA titles, six finals MVPs, greatest scorer of all times, held 10 scoring titles, five MVP awards, won the Defensive Player of the Year award, and probably has the greatest sports kicks of all time. Would you not agree? So give yourselves a hand because we agree. Yeah, you're not there. All right. Now, quick little side note, because I've spent way too much time thinking about this. Um, Jordan, I think, would solidify. We would have no doubt that he was the greatest of all time had he not retired. But if you think about it, he retired three years and then came back and played for the Wizards. Had he just stayed with the Bulls, I think they're winning one, maybe two more titles that puts him at eight, and it ends the discussion. But the sad part is he didn't And so today, as much as it pains me to say this, if we ever do this again, my Mount Rushmore will change if Tom Brady wins. If Brady wins today, being Super Bowl with two different teams, I'm moving him back to position number one with seven titles more than any NFL team, and Brady will become the GOAT. The beauty is none of that matters because the Chiefs are going to win today. Mahomes will begin his legacy and on becomes the greatest run in NFL history. And I'm so excited as we go and away we go with today's deal. So there is your Mount Rushmore. Now here's the funny part about all this. I should say this, is that this conversation, as silly as it is, isn't the first time this conversation has happened. It's all the way back recorded in the New Testament. There was this time in the New Testament when the disciples were walking along and they were having their own conversation about who would be the goat, who would be the greatest of all time. In Mark chapter 9, it records it this way. He says, after they had arrived in Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what are you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Do you love it? Jesus knows Hey, what are you guys talking about? Busted. Can you imagine? Just awkward silence. It's like when your parents walked in the room and you were having conversations that you didn't want your parents to have. I mean, this was the moment. They're caught red-handed. And now Jesus is going to respond to them about their question of who is the greatest of all time. But before we show you what Jesus said, I want to enter into the debate with the disciples, and I want to enter into that with you. So just like we did the Mount Rushmore for the greatest team athletes of all time, we are now going to do the Mount Rushmore for the greatest characters in the Bible. All right, you got your LexCity.info. Here we go. Roll them in. I've given you 10 options. Pick your top four most influential, most greatest of all time biblical characters in your rational wise. Ready? Let's go. Here we go. Elijah, Noah, David. It's a who's who of children's church. Esther. Peter. Oh, come on, Esther. Oh, you were hanging on to the four. Moses making a big move down the stretch. David coming strong. Joshua has held a steady 10. Here we go. 10 seconds. Five, you're at home. Cast those votes. And time. All right. Who we got? We got Paul, David, Moses, John. Oop. Yep, yep. Ever live. John the Baptist in four. 
Wow. Now this one's interesting. I totally agree with you. I have a different order, but I totally agree with your top four, which is absolutely shocking as we go. All right, here we go. Number four, uh, I have, you have number two. My number four is David. And I think about David, man after God's own heart. Oh, that's a cool one. Uh, he's a fighter. Uh, he was a fighter for God, whether it be giants, whether it be evil kings. David was a worshiper. David was a passionate man who treated the nation of Israel very, very well during his kingship. Because God said he's a man after his own heart, I had to put him in there in the top four. My number three, my number three is Moses, the giver of the law, the deliverer of God's people. I love about Moses, and again, I tried to, some of these were the amount of scripture that was given to him. I implied there was an importance to them based on that a little bit. Certainly was Moses. I love Moses in his leadership. We learn a lot of him from the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership. And so Moses, God's deliverer, I put as number three. Number two, one I originally hadn't thought of, but came later on with some study. Number two is John the Baptist. And some of you hit this right off the bat. Think about John the Baptist. He was the one that ended the silence of 430 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. John the Baptist was the one who spoke. And this was the one that sealed it for me. Matthew 11, chapter 11, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, of all who have lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. I kind of decided if Jesus was going to put him on there, I should put him on there. I probably should have put him on the number one spot because Jesus put him there. But anybody who eats locusts, just I can't put him at one. So I've got him at two. That's my rationale, as logical as it may be. Number one, I agree with you, was Paul. Just like Moses gave us the law, Paul teaches us uh, about grace. Thirteen books in the New Testament full of amazing theology, amazing how we should act and how we should respond to God in a culture in a time of grace. I think Paul, a missionary, a messenger, I think the most influential person in the church age, and until the Lord returns, will probably have the most impact uh, on the church until that time. So these are your top four. Now give yourselves a hand because we nailed it together. These must be providential, divine top four. So here's what I love about this. So here are the disciples. On, if you've ever been to the, uh, the Holy Lands, a beautiful road, they're on, on the way to Capernaum. And they're having this conversation about who should be the greatest. And they're putting themselves in this conversation. Here's what I love about 2,000 years. We picked the same four, and none of the disciples that were having this argument even showed up on our Mount Rushmore. So it just gives you a reminder of, about the power of humility. And so Jesus hears this conversation, comes in and catches them, and then Jesus takes this moment to teach them about this is what greatness is defined about. If you really want to be the goat, he says, let me tell you what it really means. And he's going to define it. The one who created the mountains of Mount Rushmore, the one who creates the goats and all these things says, let me teach you about what greatness means. So Mark chapter nine, if you've got your phones or your Bibles, you can go there and turn there. And here's what it says. And Jesus sat down and he called the 12 disciples over to him. And he said, whoever wants to be first must take last place. And be the servant of everyone else. Then he puts a little child amongst them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who has sent me. And I love this about Jesus, right? The great communicator, the great teacher. They're having this conversation. Who's the greatest? And Jesus says, just a second. He pulls a little child over and he puts the child on his knee, and then he begins this conversation. See, 
The beauty of a child is that a child knows that they're a child. They act like a child. They think like a child. A child isn't trying to project themselves as an adult. A child isn't trying to impress them with how knowledgeable they are or how important they are or what role they play. A child has a simplicity of love, a simplicity of trust and obedience. There is, and we'll see over and over, there is true humility in an unspoiled child. Spoiled child, the opposite is true. But in an unspoiled child, there's this true humility that's there. A humility that understands this. A humility means knowing yourself, accepting yourself, being yourself, being the best self you can be, and giving of yourself to others. Jesus says, listen, while you're having all this conversation, can I remind you about this little child? This is what greatness is all about. And I think it's that understanding that makes John the Baptist as odd and unique as John the Baptist was, what makes John the Baptist in the minds of Jesus potentially the greatest. Because John the Baptist understood this, that compared to Jesus, he was a child. John the Baptist had this clear understanding who the goat was and his relationship to that. Let let me give you a couple examples. Matthew chapter three. Uh, and Jesus and John the Baptist are having a conversation. John the Baptist says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins, Jesus says, and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am not worthy to even be his slave and to carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John the Baptist says, listen, there's one that's coming. You think I'm, I'm nothing. I, I can't even hold his sandals of the one that's coming. And then it came that moment when Jesus came and, and, and John was, the Baptist had the privilege. Think about this, the privilege of baptizing the Son of God. It's the privilege of baptizing Jesus. And out of all the people that God could have chose, God chose John the Baptist to be the one in that moment. And yet, listen a little farther on in verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I'm not the one who needs to be baptizing you, he said. So why are you coming to me? And I think what made John the Baptist so great was the spirit of humility. God, I can't even even hold your sandals. I I should not be the one baptizing you at all. There should be somebody greater than me. The difference is this, right? The world says that that you are the greatest, that you are the goat when others are working for you. And Jesus comes and says, listen, the message of greatness is this, that greatness comes when you are serving other people. What a difference. The world says you're great if everybody centers on you, and Jesus says greatness comes when you have the capacity to center on other people and to serve other people. Remember the story when the mother of James and John comes to Jesus, same conversation, and she asked of Jesus, Jesus, can my sons be on Mount Rushmore? Right? Jesus, I know you're the goat. I'm just looking... There's three other spots. I just want two of them. Uh, can my son, I, I'd like one of my sons to be on your left and one to be on your right. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of James and John, the son of Devity, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. And she replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. Takes a little bit of a moment. Think about the, that conversation few verses later, Jesus pulls the, all the disciples together to have this teachable moment that we've been talking about. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people 
and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first amongst you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, can I just remind you, listen. When Jesus came here to earth, he he didn't come as a conquering king. He, He didn't come as a corporate president or a wealthy celebrity or a Super Bowl hero or a celebrity preacher, right? What did Jesus did? He came as a servant. He came that he could give an example for you and I to follow and you and I to live after. He came to give his life, right, ultimately, Therefore, to model for us what it means to give our lives for other people, for our community, for those that are around us. And you know, one of the things I love about our church and I love so much about you is that heart to give and to serve beyond these four walls and to do something bigger than ourselves. And I do want to just take a moment and just celebrate and thank so many of you. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had our City Reach uh, outreach event that's here, and you'll see some pictures there. I'm so grateful for Pastor Dave and his team and their heart to just be the hands and feet of Jesus. Prepared some lunches for some of the homeless within our community. I think we did 100 lunches, sandwiches, and things that were there. Went to one of our shelters that really ministers to some of our under-resourced people in our community. Uh, some with homes, some without homes that came in. And listen, this wonderful group of folks that kind of went out just humbly... They cleaned, hands and knees, washing walls, doing things to love and care for people. You'll see one of the pictures there, put up a fence for a family. Uh, their daughter uh, has cancer, and through a make-a-wish, they gave her a, a, a dollhouse that she could play in, but she was in a community that the parents didn't feel safe, and so we built a fence around her backyard that this little girl can go out and enjoy, and parents can have a piece of rest. See, that's, isn't that amazing? I love it. And the beauty is, right, I mean, that's, That's the heart of Jesus. The issue is not to make a name for ourselves or to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, we're somewhere on the mountain. No, no, no. It's just to love people and to serve people and and that the gospel comes through open hands and open hearts that just pave the way through kindness. And Jesus says to the disciples, man, that is the difference. And the power of this is when we serve our community in such a way, we pray for our community at a greater depth. The folks that were there yesterday, listen, when they walk and drive by that panhandler who's been on that same corner, all of a sudden you'll, you'll think about it a little different because you just washed the walls and the floors where that guy will go for dinner and it'll make you think about it a different way. You'll walk around, you'll see a family who's in need. And, and the beauty of this of serving is it always brings a depth to our prayers because now when we pray, we don't just see concepts, we see people and we see faces and we have stories and our heart grows. Serving energizes our prayers. The beauty is it changes our hearts and it grows us in the spirit of humility. And we see that change and that transformation in the mother of James and John. First the story in a respectful way, but still in a unique way as only a mother would do. She goes to Jesus and says, my sons, they're pretty special. I want them on the right. I want them on the left. And Jesus teaches her and her heart's broken towards that. At the end of the book, we see the same mother of of James and John. And this time she's at the feet of the cross. And at the right or left of Jesus is not her sons, but on the right or left are two thieves. And Jesus shows in that moment what it means to come and to serve. In that moment, as he hangs on the cross, he shows you what greatness is all about. It's a humility, right? It's a dying to self. So today, 
fun day all around the country. More people will watch the sports event than anything else will watch all year long. And today we're going to crown a king, a champion of the NFL. But can I remind you as we cheer and we think about all of that, that listen, 2,000 years ago, the GOAT, the greatest of all times, came. And he came to serve, and he came to love, and he came to lay down his life for you. That Jesus is our champion, that he is our defender, and that he is our savior. Amen. So I thought today, I thought today that we would just close out our time in some worship together. In a few hours, we'll laugh and cheer, and it'll be all, but listen, that all pales to the moment that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that the Son of God humbled himself to come and to walk amongst us, that he humbled himself to serve us in the model, and that he humbled himself to die on the cross, that he might be our champion.